0: At the intersection of ideas and action, this is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. I'm Jade McAdams, a Longitude Fellow from Rice University. Welcome to our Longitudes of Imagination series, where we are exploring the roles of individuals, technologies, and research that is helping advance understanding of our oceans. In today's episode, we are featuring highlights from a conversation I led with Jason Williams, the lead mechanical engineer at Schmidt Ocean Institute, which is a philanthropic foundation that is enabling scientific expeditions on their research vessel, Falkor, at no cost to world scientists. As part of the UN's ocean science decade, they're also contributing to a worldwide effort in mapping the entire seabed by 2030. As a mechanical engineering major myself, I was interested to hear about the design and development aspects and the engineering mindset behind the Schmidt Ocean Institute's creation of the Falkor. We started our conversation with Jason's experiences in engineering that led him to build the ROV Sebastian at SOI. An ROV is a remotely operated vehicle or an underwater robot that is connected to a ship like the Falkor by cables that allow for the transmission of control signals between the operator and the vehicle.
1: I started actually in the forestry industry with a company that did underwater logging. So that was my first introduction to ROVs. I was with a small team to develop the very first submersible vehicle to cut down trees underwater and bring them to the surface. I went from the logging background immediately into the subsea world and brought in all my hydraulics experience and my uh, my mechanical design experience. And from there, I moved on to the science ROV world. And my first job with the ROV science world was uh, with ocean observatories. There's a big cabled observatory off of Vancouver Island. So Canada was actually one of the very first ocean observatories. And I was part of the team to install all those different instrument platforms and the cabling networks subsea. So there's cameras and different instruments that are streaming live back to shore from this uh, observatory right now. So I was part of that team. And uh, from there, I heard that Schmidt Ocean Institute was looking to develop uh, new vehicles. As a mechanical engineering uh, student, I'm sure you, you can appreciate that uh, they wanted to go full ocean depth and they wanted to develop three vehicles. The, the goal was to build a 4,500-meter vehicle, then a 7,500 and 11,000-meter vehicle. So uh, I was brought down there to, to develop that. Um, we kind of changed direction after the first build, but uh, that's kind of what brought me to Schmidt Ocean Institute was that challenge. And the motivation behind all of SOI's work is really It's very rewarding that we're not after financial gains. So making different decisions and we're able to take these newer risks. It just really allows you to to expand in a lot of different directions, which is exciting.
0: So kind of following off of that and also something that I think about a lot as a mechanical Uh engineering student is that idea of like design and autonomy in what you're creating. Because like for me, the reason that I kind of came into engineering when I decided to go to college was I wanted to really be able to build something like from scratch and come up with something new and create because I just find that amazing. I'm sure you feel the same way. So I wanted to ask about, you know, when you came on board for building this like 4,500 meter depth, Sebastian, like how was that process of like ideation and implementation, like the problem solving process that you followed to kind of get there?
1: It's a super exciting process like I can't say that I can tell you exactly we this this and this it's a little bit more fluid than that. Um, But we definitely started with a blank piece of paper and for me for doing a design like this it's so complex and so many different systems, I kind of figured out all the small pieces first. So I kind of figured out, you know, like with the hydraulic system and the flotation system and all the different systems, and I kind of worked from the smaller side. And the actual final design of the vehicle came at the end. To be honest, there were some people that kind of questioned my process with this, but I didn't, I knew that the vehicle had to be so balanced, um, both in air and in water, that I wanted to position all the different components and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of did the the systematic breakdown, you know, like I'm sure you guys have talked about that in design classes and whatnot. You break it down to those small pieces and then you build it up and then you kind of mold it into this kind of general shape. So it was really exciting uh, to be able to do that and literally start from a blank piece of paper. And 16 months later, I was testing it in the Mbari's test tank.
0: Yeah, that kind of makes me think because the way you said about like finding small like doing each subsystem first and then putting it together is very similar to my like capstone project that I have to do to, you know, actually get a mechanical engineering degree that I'm working on now. So that's really interesting. I'm glad to see that it does pan out in the workforce as well. And that's how people approach things.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think about that a lot and because a lot of times people get overwhelmed with these big type projects because to start with a blank piece of paper and then to be going 4,500 meters depth, off of Guam, you know, a year and a half later, it's very daunting. So to break them down, I always break things down to their smallest components and it's so much easier to be able to kind of address that. So you look at them and, you know, you you figure out the requirements, the constraints, your assumptions, all those kind of the basics and you just go from there. So it's a fun process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of um, in line with that process part of it, what would you say has been maybe like the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome working with the Schmidt Ocean Institute, whether that's like a technical problem that you had to overcome or like people or regulations or anything like that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, the early days of Sebastian, the time frame was so tight. We didn't have the people on staff to be actually to be able to do it. Like, it was such a huge project. And doing it in 16 months, that was The biggest challenge, just because of the time frame and the amount of limited people, Um, but we did it, and uh, it was all successful, and it's still working out there today. So it's a it's a bit of a good feeling story.
0: Yeah, awesome. So once you had successfully completed, like Sebastian, and like you said, it's out there working. So once you kind of done that, how do you come up with a vision or move forward into designing new things or like finding new interests? And kind of what are you working on now?
1: Yeah. So there's there's a few things there. Um, We offer up our ship to the scientists and each cruise is different. So every year, I'm not really sure exactly what I'm going to be doing. So which is kind of fun and exciting because I get to work with all these different groups. And some of them need more assistance than others. But I usually help them integrate their equipment onto the ROV, help them build new equipment. So as an example, we had NASA come on board and they wanted to look for meteorites off the coast of Oregon. So I worked with one of the scientists from NASA to develop a meteorite collection device that was ROV operated. So it was uh, basically like lawn mowing underwater with this meteorite (laughs) suction sampler. So that was kind of of a fun little project. So that's kind of my day-to-day kind of task. But I do a fair amount of research into new technologies, new subsea ocean vehicle technologies. So I did a lot of research into AUVs and ASVs, which are autonomous underwater vehicles and autonomous surface vehicles. So, And over the last five years, those systems have really taken off. So I've tried to educate myself as much as possible and talking to different professionals and experts in the field to kind of see where I can kind of apply those technologies to SOI. And right now, we're kind of going through a bit of a transition period. And I, I have worked with some scientists in the past that brought those as guest vehicles on the ship, but I'm hoping down the road with our new ship, we'll be able to kind of utilize these a little bit more so and that takes me into the what I'm doing now is uh, we've bought a new ship it's Falkor 2 it's a massive upgrade to our existing system and so part of my job right now is to integrate not only Sebastian the ROV onto that ship but to look at what capabilities we can do with the ship down the road and AUVs and ASVs and those kind of systems will probably play a big role in that so I kind of evaluate different technologies, different systems. I do a lot of operations as well. So not only do I do the design work and development, I usually go offshore and run the vehicles as well. I don't do that as much anymore. I hand it off to the teams. But as we integrate new stuff, I usually go offshore and and help figure out how to operate and deploy this. So my goal right now is to kind of develop the Fulcor 2 into a more capable vessel. So there's teams that are working on the ship itself. Part of my role will be to see what kind of operational capabilities can we add to this ship so it kind of has more output. So instead of just an ROV collecting samples, maybe we'll have the ROV as well as an ASV and AVs working at the same time, things on the back deck going off the A-frame and that kind of stuff. So I have a really big open kind of uh, playbook right now and it's, it's quite an exciting time for us.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So following up on the ASVs and AUVs, I guess I'm curious to see like where you think the future of your field, like, do you think ROVs are going to become almost obsolete in the next like five to 10 years? Or do you think those are still going to be a big part just integrated in with AUVs? I kind of like want to hear your opinion as someone who has a lot of knowledge on the topic of the future of the field as a whole.
1: Well, to be honest, I don't think ROVs are going to go away, just like HOVs, human-occupied vehicles, aren't going to go away. They do similar stuff, but some of them do it better than others. Like right now, I see ASVs as kind of going ahead and doing the reconnaissance kind of mapping of the seafloor and whatever other kind of science experiments and data they can collect. AUVs kind of go in after them, after we process the data from the ASVs the AUVs kind of go in and go a little bit more uh, specific targeted locations and do a little bit more detailed mapping. And then the ROVs kind of come in and actually go to those specific sites and to do that data collection. So I see that as kind of like all working together as a more of a system um, and maximizing the best parts of all three different kinds of vehicles. I like That's that I the
0: collaboration between the three to really maximize efficiency. For sure. Values, exactly. Like an AUV to do something that an ROV can do just as well, if not better.
1: Exactly, and there will be times like they're working on different kind of technologies where the ROV kind of works on its own. So instead of the the pilot flying the vehicle over to a vent field or a vent and taking a sample and doing each one of those kind of step-by-step kind of processes, they'll just say, okay, I wanna go over there at this speed and collect that sample. And then the vehicle will do that. Like that's the kind of autonomy that'll kind of be starting to get implemented and it's being done right now. So instead of everyone doing each function or each step, it's this is this step or this is the whole process it's going to do, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned different aspects of your job, kind of like sometimes actually piloting the vehicle, sometimes being more impl- like more on the design side of things, um, starting with that blank piece of paper, breaking everything down. Out of kind of everything you do with your role, which seems to be quite a diverse set of experiences, what would your favorite part be or like favorite aspect?
1: It's probably the most stressful, but the testing of the actual equipment. So like with Sebastian, Taking it from my computer, like I do solid works and modeling and design work and engineering work, and I, I designed it and see it on the computer, then to actually physically put it together on the floor. Like I literally bolted on the manipulators and the foam and, and positioning all that kind of stuff, and then also taking it to the test tank. But then taking it offshore, like in 2016, I went offshore on, in Guam and actually taking it, I flew it for the first time down to 4,500 meters. And to be able to actually do that and and successfully do that. That's probably the the biggest kind of accomplishment that I can say I have I've had. The the second phase of that was then to, to do our next science cruise. And then to actually see, like in my previous job, I worked with another vehicle that was already existing, working with scientists to collect samples and whatnot. That was really exciting and, and interesting. But to be able to say that, you know, I I built this vehicle or I designed this vehicle or I was part of the team and to see the scientists come up and collect samples and and swarming the vehicle and collecting all their specimens from the bio boxes and the push cores. And it was working. So it's just that success of starting with that blank piece of paper and actually checking the box off. Right. So it's kind of fun.
0: I imagine it's a very rewarding experience to see something that you've designed from scratch to be incredibly successful.
1: Yeah, I know. It's very fun.
0: What do you think is one of the most important lessons you've learned throughout your career? And a sub question to that, what do you think um, is one of the most important things when you're trying to be creative? Like what propels ideation and creativity?
1: So one of the most important lessons I learned, I learned it fairly early on in my career too, actually with one of the, forestry companies I worked for and there was different levels of the company you know like there's people putting the stuff together there's the engineers there's the salesmen there's there's people out in the field the mechanics the one thing I really learned was they all have something to offer and to be able to respect each one of them and to be able to respect everybody's input and, and opinion and be able to work with people because you can get so much more done by that team environment and collaboration than doing it on your own so never think that you you, you know it all because there's always someone, even like someone that's just started on the shop floor or whatever, that may have an opinion on something that you can use. So I use that as an added resource. So instead of just looking in books and trying to figure out things like myself, I look at people as an extra resource and different people with different experiences have that different input.
0: Yeah, I think that must be incredibly integral in designing like what you're designing now, because like you said, the scientists play such a big role in like coming on the ship and collecting the data. So I'm curious to know, like when you were designing um, Sebastian, for example, Mm -hmm. was um, input from like scientists, something that you really looked to as like, what do I need this ship to be capable of? What do I need this ship to have for them? Was that like a big part of it?
1: It, it was the biggest part in the beginning. Before I actually started, they did a huge survey of all the scientists, uh, the ocean scientists, probably a hundred of them or whatnot, but they went through and got uh, input from all of them and kind of consolidated it and that kind of built our design requirements. So after that period, though, we didn't go back as much. We had peer group re- reviews each time, so there's a conceptual design review a preliminary design review and a detailed design review of peers that we brought in. Not just scientists, though, That there we brought engineers in from MBARI and, and different groups like that that have experience with ROVs that, that provided input to us and direction and evaluated how we were going about it. So, so I thought that was really valuable.
0: Yeah, absolutely
1: you don't always take their input and say, oh, I'm going to do their idea. Sometimes it spurs on other ideas and that's part of the brainstorming process, right? And I find the brainstorming process another really exciting time is everybody throwing in ideas and building off of other people's ideas is, is a fun process.
0: So I guess what is like your favorite thing about Falcor, like being part of that?
1: <laughs> My favorite thing about the fall car, I I think and this is said a lot actually by the scientists is the community that's on the ship itself, including the scientists that come on board. It's such a a unity of everyone kind of thinking the same kind of things and, and working together as a group. I don't know. They're just all focused on the same kind of driven kind of goals of those cruises and working together with the ship's crew, as well as the science team is just a really enjoyable process.
0: Yeah, so I guess on that note, you mentioned like some of the things that you're mainly looking at to do with the FALCOR II are the autonomous vehicles. Um, Is there like one other thing that you really want to implement in FALCOR II? It's like your your big passion project, something that you want to see happen on this ship.
1: I don't know if you've looked at the ship, but we got a 150 ton crane on here. And it's the biggest crane that's really available to the research community and to be able to have a project that utilizes the full capabilities of that crane is kind of something in the back of my head it not only can pick up something that weighs 150 tons it actually can lower things down to the seafloor down to like 2000 or 3000 3, meters that's weighs 100 115 tons there isn't really that capability out there right now and so the the possibilities are kind of endless so i'm constantly thinking of different things to use that crane's capabilities like can we put down a whole ocean observatory that's like a big structure that weighs 50 to hundred tons down to 2000 meters and plop it down on the seafloor. It's kind of reflects on my background with the ocean observatories. I would say that's probably the one thing that's in the back of my head is utilizing that big crane. Cause it, it is, it's like a piece of NASA equipment.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing technology. I'm sure you'll come up with something good.
1: Yeah. it's exciting.
0: So I'm curious if you could go back and you were either in college or just out of college, What's like one thing that you would tell yourself or change about what you did? If anything, if you feel like you did it perfectly, then.
1: <laughs> well, I, I feel very fortunate in my career path. So I'm very happy with how things have gone. But one thing I would probably say to my younger self is step out of the comfort zone. And I do say this to my kids and to other people, too, is if you're too comfortable and everything's just a little bit too easy, you get a little bit relaxed and you know, it, it, life doesn't change. So you got to kind of push yourself a little bit to take those kind of risks and step out of your comfort zone. And, and I say this to my kids too, it's like, you got to be miserable a little bit to get to the good stuff, really kind of pushing yourself beyond your comfort level.
0: That's definitely something that I'm trying to do as I graduate and move into the real world.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, take those risks, you know, like obviously calculated risks, but don't be afraid to kind of make that kind of leap.
0: Personally, some of the most interesting aspects of Jason's experiences with the Schmidt Ocean Institute come from his remarks on collaboration and community. Jason highlights the value of a community where everyone is driven by the same goal, but has a different perspective. This leads to a surplus of ideas and knowledge that in turn propel success and innovation. He learned the importance of taking everyone's ideas and thoughts seriously when he was working in the forestry industry and has taken that forward into his career at SOI. With the Schmidt Ocean Institute, the scientists on board the vessel provide inspiration to Jason and other engineers by sharing what they need the vessel to be capable of. Then, Jason, as an engineer, attempts to achieve those capabilities. He highlights that all of the people on board the Falkor, including the scientists, the engineers, and the crew, are focused on the same end goal, which creates an enjoyable environment and leads to success that can be shared by everyone. As a graduating mechanical engineer, I hope I can find myself in such a community in my future careers and have the chance to learn from those around me while working towards a shared goal. We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts over social media and visit longitude.site for the episode transcript. Join us next time for more unique insights on Longitude sound bites.